Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky, and as always, I'm joined by Greg. How are you today, Greg? I'm all right. Uh, I know I sent you a message yesterday, but now that we're talking, I'll take the opportunity to wish you a very happy birthday for yesterday. Oh, thank you very much. Very kind of you. Much appreciated. It's not every day you're 30. <laughs> Sorry? So it's not every day that you're 30. Yeah, I wish. Unfortunately, 40. But hey, I'm led to believe that that's when life begins. I don't know. I mean, I suppose after you're 40, the next big birthday that you that you might celebrate, would it be like your 60th? I, I, you never hear of people having big celebrations for their 50ths. I don't know. I think you do. You do? I think 50s. I think it's just kind of seen as the next landmark, so... Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, 50 probably is the next big celebration. Not that I had a big celebration for 40, because obviously we're still kind of in lockdown here, so there's nowhere open or anything. So it was a a bit of a subdued affair, but I'm sure once things open, we'll have a, a little celebration to get things back on track. Give a few beers, a few glasses of wine. Yes, we did. Um, yes, we had a, a bottle of champagne and then a bottle of red wine. Nice. And a nice vegan Indian takeaway. So that was very nice. Very nice. Well, many happy returns. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Much appreciated. So yeah, have you been up to anything exciting? No, not really. You know, I mean, we, Dubai is at just over 60% of the population vaccinated. I'm told that when it gets to 70%, then the herd immunity kicks in. I've not been vaccinated yet. I, I, tr- I tried to register the other day, but I don't qualify because I'm not a pensioner. I'm not disabled. Although they, they don't call disabled people disabled here. They call them people of determination, which is quite nice. Oh, that's nice. And uh, I don't have any like life-limiting illnesses. So I, I don't qualify yet. I, I could get it if I want to go to like, a field hospital and wait for three or four hours. I could do that, but... I'm not bothered. I'm sure I had it last year anyway, because I've been around loads of people that have that have tested positive over the last few months, and I've and I and I've been getting tests because I've had to go to Abu Dhabi. You a test to do that, and I've never tested positive. So I've either got really strong antibodies naturally, or I've had it before, and the antibodies have kicked in. So I'm not in any hurry. What about you? Any vaccination? appointment on the horizon no they seem to be very slow here in terms of dishing it out so i think it's going to be quite a while before there'd be any vaccination appointment on the horizon here yeah i don't know why but they're they seem to be going about things very slowly so and i haven't really looked into it to be honest yeah um obviously as soon as it kind of becomes readily available i'll go and get it but there hasn't been any mass kind of publicity for to go and get it yet so we'll just have to wait and see you're you're pretty sure you had it not the vaccination but you're pretty sure you had covid last year anyway right yeah i am yeah probably about this time last year roughly mm-hmm. yeah that's when i i started to feel a bit ill and yeah for about a week i was completely knocked on my arse and then it was about two weeks later that everything kind of shut down right. for the first time so yeah. yeah pretty certain i did have it but still being very careful if I ever go out and don't want to jinx anything and in, in case I'm not sure. Indeed. But yeah. I know. Watch this on the next... Still be careful, everyone. On the, on the next episode, we'll probably both have COVID. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Can regale tell... Regale tells? Uh, regale tales of our, uh, our COVID-ness <laughs> after saying that, yeah, it's fine. We both had it. It'll be okay. Well... Do you want to have a look at uh, what's been going on in Scotland this last week? Let's look at the news. Cue the jingle. Oh, hey, 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 hey. 
This is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. So, what do you have first this week then, Greg? Have you seen anything that's been of interest in Scotland? Well, it's been a couple of weeks since we've had anything from Falkirk. Uh, I can't remember. I think it's been maybe three episodes since the last Falkirk story. My first story this week is from Falkirk. And I saw that I saw that you sent me over a little clip the other day from... I mean, what was even more surprising about this clip is that... It, well, basically, it's Gordon Ramsay's quiz show. But that has nothing mm. to do with cooking. It's called Gordon, no. Gordon Ramsay's Bank Balance. As far as I can see, I've only seen little clips of it, but people have answer questions and then sort of balance blocks on a table for money. It's bizarre. I haven't watched it yet, but we did watch Gogglebox and they were watching it on Gogglebox. So we got to see a little bit of it. Yeah. Yeah. It seems bizarre. You have to answer questions and they, you have to balance blocks to kind of balance things and if you get a wrong answer you have to do wrong answer I, I don't know it's bizarre that it's nothing to do with cooking i don't know yeah i mean i guess that's what happens when all your restaurants are shut you've got to take a take whatever job's going i mean the clip i saw mm. I, I mean no this isn't the clip that you sent me but the clip that i saw was a black no it wasn't it was two two youngish guys and the question was name was either four or five members either past or present members of the Rolling Stones. And they didn't get any. The guy's like, Barry Stone? Wow. Barry Stone? Was he in the Rolling Stones? <laughs> Gordon Ramsay's just shaking his head. But yeah, I saw that Gordon referred to Falkirk as a shithole on his uh, new quiz program and got a few complaints. Now, I used to work in Falkirk and I do feel compelled to defend it a little bit because there's actually some really, really, really nice parts of Falkirk and there's some shitty parts just like everywhere else. But for some reason, like... We just find these amazing stories that come from Falkirk. <laughs> it's just been quite a lot of anti-social people who live there. But this one comes from the Daily Record. And the headline is, I, I apologise in advance for one of the words that I'm using here, but I'm just quoting. It says, Weirdo who filmed pal drop his trousers and call cops faggots, sorry, jailed after bizarre incident. So Falkirk Sheriff Court has heard Michael Muldoon, who's 30, same age as you, Nicky, you think he'd know better, lashed out, <laughs> yes. lashed out at cops after being stopped in the street. So uh, Michael, Michael Muldoon tongue-lashed cops sent to investigate after taking exception to a refuted assumption that there was a sexual motivation behind this bizarre incident. Police were called after a window cleaner working in Lauriston in Falkirk spotted Muldoon and another man at a distance near an underpass. Prosecutor Sean Maher told Falkirk Sheriff Court about half past nine in the morning, the witness was cleaning windows, as is a window cleaner's want, and he became aware of the males walking in the direction of the underpass. One male appeared to be filming the other with a mobile phone. Mr Muldoon was observed to pull at the front of his trousers, but he didn't expose himself. While the witness watched, the other male pulled his trousers to his knees and Mr Muldoon recorded this. The incident was reported to the police, who then stopped Muldoon nearby. Mr Maher said, Having been informed of the reasons for having been stopped, Mr Muldoon began to shout and swear at the police officers. After shouting, Fucking idiots and fucking stupid wee lassies, at PC's Caitlin Robertson and Leslie Mealing, he was arrested. As he was taken to a prone position, so he's obviously been wrestled to the ground by these stupid wee lassies, uh, and handcuffed, he threatened to 
slash use about and added user getting it. And then in the back of the police van on the way to Falkirk Police Station, he called another officer a derogatory word for a homosexual gentleman. Muldoon of St John's Avenue, Falkirk, pleaded guilty to committing a statutory, a statutory breach of the peace aggravated by prejudice relating to sexual orientation. The incident occurred on March 25th, 2019, but it's just come to court now. Uh, solicitor advocate Martin Morrow defending said Muldoon and his friend had been drinking at 9.30 in the morning. He said they were fooling about. His friend thought he was being funny, and Mr Muldoon recorded this. They thought there was nobody in sight. They obviously weren't aware that someone from a vantage point had seen them messing about, and a number of police officers arrived. It might have taken a very different turn, but it not for the fact that what was actually mentioned was some sort of sexual offence, maybe uh, voyeurism in the recording of a sexual offence. Now, Mr Muldoon is no stranger to difficulties, but he's not someone who's had to deal with an allegation like that before. And he reacted to the suggestion in fairly pointed terms. you got to love the language that a defence solicitor uses. <laughs> You know what I mean? To try and justify their client's behaviour. Um, appearing yesterday on Thursday, the 25th of February, Muldoon also admitted committing another statutory breach of the peace in the cells at Falkirk Police Station after being arrested in connection with a different matter on January the 13th of this year. The court heard he began shouting faggots and referring to custody staff as paedophiles. When a custody nurse entered to check his condition, he called her a slag, and she had to leave his cell out of concern for her own safety. Sheriff Christopher Sheed said the court would impose a custodial sentence in order to mark its approval of this conduct, and Muldoon was jailed for ten and a half months. What a fucking numpty. Yeah, this is pretty bad. There's so much to, to dissect on this. <laughs> Now, do we think he was maybe filming something for his OnlyFans account or <laughs> something <laughs> that he was just casually filming his mate with his tadger out? That's the first question. But then, yeah, as it develops, quite an unsavoury character with some of the language that he's been using there. <laughs> I mean, you have to feel sorry for the uh, for the police officers of Falkirk because they get verbally abused. People try to bite them when they arrest them. You know, it's horrendous. Um, I mean, you know, he's maybe to give him the benefit of the doubt, obviously being on the lash in the morning, as you do, maybe just having a laugh, pulling their tracky bottoms down and filming it. Maybe, maybe it's for their OnlyFans account, as you say. It's quite possible. Maybe it was just going to go on Instagram. You know, I mean, he's he's obviously kicked off when when the police have arrested them because they, there's been a suggestion that there's some sort of sexual thing going on from him and his mate. And, you know, maybe to be fair, there wasn't. But he's, I mean, talk about overreacting. You would like to think that a cooler head could, could, could have just explained this in a really sorry officers. Well, we're just messing about. And it would probably have been, it would probably all been fine, right? We're, really, we're just messing about. Yeah. Didn't mean to upset anybody. Day. We'll be on our way now. We're really sorry, and the police. You know, and like a, you would imagine that the police who have got better things to do than arrest little rat boys for pulling their trousers down would have said, "Well, on you go then, but don't do it again." But no, 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 has to take it too far. Yeah, you're right. I think uh, a simple explanation of "sorry" or just mucking around, "sorry," won't do it again, would have sufficed. Even then, or you come up with a story of, oh, I thought I'd been stung by a bee on my tadger. I pulled it down to have a look at it, and my friend photographed it because I wanted to 
see if I needed any medical assistance. It turns out I don't. Uh, it's all fine now. Thank you, officers, for your concern. Come up with a story like that. But to lose the head, I think that is some of the people that probably, they just don't want any police involvement and they see the police as an enemy and they get ultra defensive already and have to, well, what's it to do with you? What are you wanting? When they're just trying to help. I think he, um, I think he, the reason he's got so upset is because of the suggestion that him and his friend are homosexuals. But I wonder if he maybe protesteth too much. Well, judging by some of the language that he used, mm. then yes, I would imagine that he probably did, I think. <laughs> but then, what's he going to protest a little bit too much? What's he going to say when he's in prison? I mean, it's a, you know, because you'd like to think, I think, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but you want to go in, if you've got to go to prison, right? You want to go to prison with, like, an offence like you're a bank robber and you stole millions of pounds or something. You don't want to, when someone asks you what you're in prison for, you don't want to have to tell them because my pal pulled his trackies down under a bridge and I filmed them and then gave the police an earful. <laughs> Can't be many guys doing a 10-month stretch for a lamp. I don't know. Uh, then you would have to make up a story and say, oh, my OnlyFans account was too hot for them to handle. <laughs> and they they put me away because they were jealous. You know, uh, that type of thing. I don't know. Well, anyway, he got um, 10 and a half months in jail for his... I mean, he's obviously... He's, he's not been sent to jail for... Despite what the headline says, I don't think he's been given the sentence for filming his mate with his trousers down. I think it's more because of how he, uh, how he behaved with the police. So... Well, I'm sure in prison he'll learn how to hold his tongue and watch his language when <laughs> he's in there. That's my first story. Poor Falkirk, again. You know, people just letting you down Falkirk the, the next time we have a positive story we'll try and find a positive a positive Falkirk story for a, a later episode of the Swally because I do feel that we give it a bit of a hard time yeah they do I think so yeah we'll we'll have a look and get a, a lightly a lightly a slightly more positive story yep. from Falkirk in the future yeah so, what's your first story this week? Well, I'm going to take us away from Falkirk and up to the Highlands. Right. And this is one of the stories that you read the headline and it instantly draws you in. It gets, there's a couple of bits that are quite unpleasant, but overall, it's a, quite a funny story. So, it also concerns mobile phones and filming oh. of, uh, of, of something. So, Highland man jailed for two years after Square Go was filmed. A Dingwall man recorded a video of him beating another man unconscious after they met up for a square go in the woods. Right. Uh, it's just, you know, exactly what you would do. So Darren Kennedy, 27, and Stuart Johnson had exchanged insults in the early hours of November the 10th last year. They then agreed to meet up in Maggie's Woods and have a fight. When they got there, both men stripped to the waist to prove that neither was carrying a weapon. Kennedy then got the better of Johnson and filmed him lying on the ground, covered in blood, and berating him with insults and comments about bottles being thrown at him. He then sent it via Snapchat to Johnson's partner and then gave her some threats as well over Snapchat. So that's when the police were called, the police arrived. So Mr. Johnson, he did suffer multiple facial fractures, and he actually spent some time in intensive care and on a ventilator. That's the nasty part. So, mm -hmm. But he is okay now. Uh, thankfully, he's made a recovery. You were saying in the last uh, story about the defence solicitors and some of the arguments that they can come up with. Yeah. So Johnson's uh, sorry, Kennedy's defence solicitor said, My client realised the error of his ways 
put him in the recovery position, phoned an ambulance, and waited for it to arrive. Uh, this is after he's beaten his face in and filmed himself standing over him, taunting him. Then he's decided, okay, I better put him in the recovery position. I've got my content that I needed now, <laughs> so let's get all this sorted out. He, he was originally charged with attempted murder, but he admitted to a lesser charge of assault, so that because he was repeatedly punching Johnson in the head and body. His defence lawyer then said, uh, there's a background of uh, a bit of a disturbance between these two, which will come as no surprise. Uh, there was an occasion when bottles were thrown at my client's property. So it sounds like the guy's been <laughs> throwing bottles at the guy's house for some reason, which has maybe led to this square go in the woods. The medical evidence may seem serious, but it was largely down to the complainer's consumption of alcohol and drugs. So the defence lawyer is trying to say that the reason the injuries were so bad was because... Mr. Uh, Johnson was uh, was pished and on some drugs. So his injuries wouldn't have been as bad if he'd been stone-cold sober. So he could have fought back. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the defence lawyer's claim. <laughs> Thankfully, the, the, the judge... Now, I like to see this. They said that the, the result, uh, the assault, still resulted in Johnson having to take up a bed in intensive care and being put on a ventilator at the height of a pandemic when ventilators are needed for people that are ill, which I think is a very fair point. So, unfortunately for Kennedy, he was jailed for two years for this assault and filming of it, and she said it would have actually been for three years, but because he pled guilty, she was a bit more lenient. Have you ever felt the need to strip to the waist and arrange a square go in the woods? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I just, I mean, I can, we can all remember, right, being at school and there'd be some disagreement at like break time or maybe at lunchtime. Not that I was, I mean, I was never involved in any of these sort of things. I was, I was a lover, not a fighter at school. In fact, I wasn't even a lover. I just, but I wasn't a fighter because I was fucking rubbish at fighting. But, um, but you, we can, we can all remember occasions when we've gone along to watch a fight after school. Oh, have you heard so and so and so and so? Or, yeah having a square go at like four o'clock after the bell rings. At no point did anybody ever strip to the waist. And then <laughs> the thing is, stripping to the waist only proves that you don't have a weapon up your jumper. <laughs> Do you know I, mean? <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming that they kept their trousers on. You know, they could have had a weapon in his pocket. I don't you know. But um, so were they, were, they, were they the only two people? Nobody else was there. It doesn't mention anyone else, but... Right. Someone else must have been there to film the fight if they were stripping to the waist, yeah, you would think. You would but think so. no one else is mentioned in the article, which is a bit strange. Maybe not, but it does seem a bit strange. I wonder if he just sort of filmed himself, like a sort of video selfie after the guys on the ground, just like kind of booting him about Maggie's Woods. I mean, it's <laughs> when you started telling this story, I thought it was going to be like some sort of Highlands version of Fight Club or something like that, you know? I was thinking more women in love. With, <laughs> yeah, uh, with Oliver Reed, Oliver Reed and Alan Bates. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they strip to the waist and wrestle. There's some, uh, there's some funny stories about that scene about both those actors just trying to wake their tackle up a little bit. So apparently it was quite cold in the studio, and they're just a little, a little bit of like personal fluffing. So their cocks looked a bit better on um, on film. Apparently, <laughs> it's funny you say that. It was always good when. Uh, as you say, there was a fight at school. And it was amazing how it would just spread like wildfire in terms of 
every everyone knew that there was going to be a fight at 3.15 on the hill. And it was amazing. Before mobile phones or anything, but everybody knew yeah, that yeah. this fight was happening. And there'd be a crowd gathered before even one of the participants had turned up because everyone's waiting for it. One of my favourite fights I'd saw was, it was, a, it was like a little hill that people fought on when we were at school. And it was kind of a, a new boy got into a bit of a fight with this other boy uh-huh. who'd been a bit more established. Now, one of the fighters was, let's just say, a rather large kid. He, he was quite tubby. And the other one was quite like tall and muscular. It was quite a quick fight because the new kid, he immediately went in with a roundhouse kick, <laughs> which it's not something you often see in a school fight. No. Fair play. He connected with a fat kid's head. The fat kid rolled down the hill <laughs> after the connection came. But unfortunately for the new kid, he lost his balance just after he'd connected. And he ended up rolling down the hill as well. That's amazing. <laughs> so, so, it was quite a quick fight. <laughs> they were both like sprawled at the bottom of the hill like after one kick. But a roundhouse kick in a school fight. It's quite impressive. Like it's something you would see on Cobra Kai. Oh yeah, I, I've got a similar tale. Like my old flatmate in Aberdeen, whose name I won't mention because, um, you know, because he probably wouldn't want me to mention it. But you obviously remember my old flatmate when I lived in the Galleria. Yes, I do. And he and, he and I were at school together. And he was, and I think still is, I've not seen him for a while, like a massive fan of Jean-Claude Van Damme. And they, especially those... <laughs> The first sort of maybe half a dozen Van Damme films like Kickboxer and AWOL and Death Warrant and stuff like that. And he was a bit of a self-taught martial artist. He had a few books about karate and, but he, he, he wasn't bad at it. And he was, he was, he was quite tall. Um, he was, he was taller than I was at school. Um, I, I kind of caught up with him a bit later, but he was tall, but he had terrible, he had terrible skin. Um, like, Ter- you know, as, as a lot of kids do when they're, especially boys when they're teenagers, they like, just horrendous acne. And, um, we were in the, uh, the social area one morning at school when this kid who was in our class, who was also a bit overweight, funnily enough, was giving my friend a bit of shit for his skin. So as he was, as he turned to walk away, my friend gave him a boot up the arse, but he must have, you know, like if you get a kick up the arse at a certain point or you fall on your arse and it hits, I think it's your coccyx, it really really fucking hurts. Mm. Well, I think my I think my mate must have connected with that particular tender part of the arse. So this other kid cracked up. Fight was arranged at lunchtime. Well, I, I must say that as much as my pal was a big fan of martial arts and everything, he's the nicest guy and still is like one of the nicest guys. He was, never went looking for trouble. So we all we went up to the park in the in in the village at at lunchtime. And to be fair to my friend, he was like, I don't know about this. It's a bit stupid. And then as we came up to the park, it felt like the entire school was there. So to my to my shame, I said, Well you can't back out now. <laughs> Because all schools here, <laughs> so r- reluctantly he uh, joined up for this fight, and the fat kid kind of charged towards him. My friend did a roundhouse kick, but he went right over the top of the fat kid's head and missed him entirely. <laughs> oh no! So the fat kid threw a couple of kind of punches. And then my, my flatmate decked him and he hit him so hard that the bruise, like when he got up off the grass, the bruise was coming up on his cheek already. And oh. my poor old pal felt terrible, but the fight was over. This kid was fucked. And, um, we went back to school and then last period was geography and, uh, 
the headmaster came from my friend. And to be fair to the kid who had started the whole thing, he did say that it was his fault and he was the, he was the, he was the, you know, he had started it and everything. But mm. I, I, I sat at the same table as this kid in uh, chemistry. Right. So then, so the next, I noticed that he hadn't been at school on a Thursday. The fight happened on a Wednesday. He hadn't been at school on a Thursday. On a Friday, he was in, he was back in. And, um, and I, I sat on his table at chemistry and he, I mean, his cheek was fucking purple. And I said to him, what did, um, I said, you were off school yesterday? And he said, yeah. He said, my mum kept me off school and took me to the doctors. And he, <laughs> It's concussed, and he had a fra- <laughs> he had a fracture, like a, a small fracture in his cheekbone. So oh. yeah, fucking saved him, right? He was a prick. I was honestly, I was so happy. <laughs> I was, uh, you know, and the thing is, the, the the reason that I'm not using my old pal's name is because, like, when him and I lived together in Aberdeen when we were younger, I used to tell the story all the time when he was there. And he was, as he got older, I mean, he wasn't, he didn't feel great about it at the time, but as he got older, he was a bit embarrassed about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can imagine. You know, yeah. he felt he was a bit, I guess, probably a bit more mature than I was <laughs> when him and I shared the flat. It was a bit sort of like, fucking stop telling people that story, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, why? It's fucking cool. It's cool as fuck. <laughs> it's like, stop. Just stop telling the story. So, but it, it, it's, it's always good. It's always good when you see a bully kind of get their comeuppance, you know, maybe not to that extent, but. No, well, this bully can look forward to a couple of years in jail yeah. where I'm sure he can strip off in the showers and have a, a square go. <laughs> strip to the waist. With somebody there. To prove that, to prove that he's not got like a, a sharp flip-flop or something. <laughs> Razor blade yeah. melted into a toothbrush handle or something. So, uh, what else have you seen this week that's caught your eye? Well, this is, a, this is just a little short one. Now, we've not... I don't know if it was if it's, this has been a conscious effort, but we've always, to some extent, strayed away from any stories involving the old firm. And for listeners who, are, who don't live in Scotland and aren't Scottish, maybe aren't familiar by what we mean when we say the old firm, the old firm is basically Glasgow Rangers and Glasgow Celtic, the two football teams. Massive rivalry, etc, etc. And it's all a bit sensitive, so I, I, you know, I try not to mention it, but I think even the most uh, ardent Celtic fan would raise a smile at this story. Or maybe not. But the headline is Print Firm puts Celtic 10 in a row stickers on sale as Hoops fan no longer wants them. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> so uh, this is an, it's actually an, an English printing shop uh, in Wolverhampton. They've put a series of Celtic 10 in a row champion stickers up for sale after a Hoops fan who ordered them initially uh, said they, 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 he didn't want them anymore. Um, you can see them on Twitter. The sticker showed the words 10 in a row 2021 champions in a green font printed on a Republic of Ireland flag. It's claimed they were ordered by a Celtic fan last year, but given the club's current run of results, it appears that the fan had a change of heart on the purchase. Caption in the picture, the firm that uh, printed the stickers said, Sale now on. A customer ordered these stickers in the summer, but no longer wants them. Any offer considered. Celtic fans previously obviously had their eyes on a historic 10th Scottish Premiership title one in a row, uh, with the bookies making them firm favourites to clinch it this year uh, back in the summer. But old firm rival Rangers are on course to snatch the trophy from the Parkhead team as they continue. It says an incredible unbeaten league season. You know, it's a, it's a good run of results. Incredible's a bit strong. I'm sure they've, I'm sure there's been, I'm sure they've had a, both Celtic and Rangers have had just as good runs in the Premiership. 
the Ibrox side are currently 18 points clear of second place Celtic with just eight games left to play. It seems unlikely that any Hoops fans will snap up the cut price stickers while Rangers fans commented on the tweet to poke fun at their rivals. I won't read out any of the Rangers fans uh, tweets because they're not I mean so, some some are poking fun but some go down a bit of a dark sectarian path so we'll leave it there but yeah I mean you- I would have thought some Rangers fans would have been purchasing the stickers to use as like a a taunt well you yeah, maybe I thought that would have been better would have been a better idea that's how we should have uh, angled the sale yeah. on that one yeah, but I mean they're in Wolverhampton, so they they, they probably um, they probably don't fully appreciate the the intense rivalry between the two clubs. But y- you've got to admire the optimism of that uh, hoops fan back in the summer who who <laughs> placed the order. I wonder where he was going to stick them. I don't know where he would stick them. Just around town, I suppose. Around Wolverhampton. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly, yeah. Never know. Anyway, what is your next story? Well, I'm I'm trying to go with a a nice little funny story because obviously there's a it, it was my birthday, so I'm in a light mood. You know, <laughs> it's all nice. Um, it's always a funny feeling when you meet someone with the same name as you. Uh, I don't know. Have you ever met another Greg Hurst? I, I haven't. I have received a couple of Facebook friend requests from other Greg Hursts who obviously. I think it's a bit of a, a buzz to meet yeah. someone that's... But I've never accepted any of those friends, so... No, why would you? I'm the same. I've received quite a few from people with have, have the same name as me. Yeah. And one woman was very insistent. Like, every time I rejected, <laughs> she kept trying again. I think I had to just block her eventually. Because why? What Are you trying to get a, a little army together or something? I never understood that. I, I worked with a guy once and he did the same. He actually instigated it and started a group of his name and added everyone. And he was delighted. Right. He was so happy. And he just thought it was so funny that, you know, he would send messages, you know, hi, with his name. And they'd respond back and you know, he was in his element. I think, fucking loser. So it's a funny feeling when you meet someone with the same name as you. And uh, this is from glasgolive.co.uk this week. Mm Mm-hmm. But how does it feel when you find a whole place with the same name as you? (laughs) And this is, uh, well, now we know because this article explains it. (laughs) Leeds-based Mary Hill came across the Glasgow area Mary Hill during the course of her telesales job. Although she'd visited Glasgow as a child, it took lockdown boredom for her to start dreaming of her first trip she'll take when restrictions are lifted. Where did Mary think to go? Well, Mary Hill, of course. (laughs) Uh, She told Glasgow Live that she sort of discovered Mary Hill herself. All right, Christopher Columbus, calm down. (laughs) Uh, When she was (laughs) in a and an annoying telesales person in one of her first jobs. We had to call up and down the country and she found that one of the numbers she had to call was in Mary Hill. As she said, I loved calling Scotland in my telesales job as the Scottish were always more friendly on the phone. There we go, Mary. Eh? She came to visit Glasgow when she was passing through on the way to Mull of Kintyre when she was about six. And she remembers going to Glasgow School of Art and with the Macintosh Library. And apparently we went through Mary Hill and my mum pointed it out. But I can't remember that bit. I'm pretty fucking sure you would remember that. <laughs> if you remember going to the Mullican Tire and you're driving through and your mum points out, oh, this is Mary Hill. And you'd be like, oh, I'm Mary Hill. Oh, of course you'd fucking remember that. Also, you, um, I don't think you would drive through Mary Hill if you're going to Mullican Tire anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they take a detour. <laughs> right. 
hilariously. I think Glasgow Live need a dictionary and look up the definition of hilariously, <laughs> but never mind. Um, as lockdown boredom started to take its toll, Mary started to plan a post-lockdown trip to Scotland and decided to reach out and find other Mary Hills, including one in the actual Mary Hill area. Since her discovery... Oh, it does actually say here, since her Columbus-like discovery. Really? It's not. She's met a whole network of Mary Hills, and they've connected online, and she's discovered Mary Hill FC. Now, they're all planning a trip to watch a game after lockdown is lifted, and she's even bought a hat in anticipation. She, she joined a Mary Hill Facebook group pages and she's planning some fun trips to do with uh, her mum and her kids and also possibly on my motorbike and Scotland was the top of the list I want to do a route all round the north of Scotland, detours to the Shetland Isles and then come back through Mary Hill. So I thought I'd introduce myself it turns out there are songs at a football team. There's a few people saying that uh, their mum and sister are also called Mary Hill I'd love to meet up with them and have a drink with the Mary Hill FC fans after a match. Once the lockdown is over, of course, I've been humming the songs all afternoon, <laughs> and I've bought a Mary Hill hat. Jesus H. Christ. To be fair, Glasgow Live are helping her. They've said at the bottom of the article, do you know any other Mary Hills, or people who share names with places in Glasgow? Write in and let us know. So, you've never discovered anywhere no, I th- with, I, with your name, have you? I also think somebody needs to manage this lady's expectations about Mary Hill before <laughs> she might, she yeah, might be I, a bit disappointed <laughs> when she gets there. Well, she is delighted and she seems very happy. Um, and she's just, you know, ecstatic that she's discovered this place. And bless her, she can't wait to go. I really hope there's a follow up article or she does like a YouTube video of her visit to Mary Hill and we can see how she gets on. Do you know what it reminds me of? Did you ever read the book uh, by Dave Gorman and Danny Wallace called Are You Dave Gorman? When he travels around the world yes, meeting all these different... Yeah, it's a bit, it's a, there's, there's yeah. shades of that about it. Well, like, you know... I mean, I'm trying to think... Because my wife used to work in Mary Hill. And she, used to, she used to work for a housing association that's based in Mary Hill. You know, north of Glasgow. Well, it's sort of northwest of Glasgow. You're right next to the... You're kind of right near the West End. So maybe she should just go to the West End because it's nice there and maybe give Mary Hill just a kind of a quick duck in and then go down Mary Hill Road and down Queen Margaret Drive and get down onto uh, Byers Road and go for a lovely wee drink in Ashton Lane yeah. and take some nice pictures. Yeah, just... She could just tell people that's... Give it a wee wave. She could just tell people in Leeds that that's Mary Hill because how are they going to know? That's true. Yeah, very true. Well, good luck, Mary Hill. Yeah. I hope you get everything you hope for when you visit Mary Hill. Yeah. So, is there anything else that you've caught uh, caught your eye this week or that you've seen? Well, I mean, this is uh, this is my last one. It's a kind of positive one. It's a bit of a departure from what we usually have in the Swally, but, you know, I was sort of, you know, the, the episode before last when we did City Lights, I had that quite nice affirming story about the biker church. Last time, I just had the usual antisocial moron stories. So this time, and it was because it made me think of when I was a, a young kind of student in Aberdeen. Uh, so it comes from the Press and Journal. The headline is, Struggling live music venues across Aberdeen and the North receive funding lifeline. And then there's a big picture of Cafe Drummond, which I think is the, f- it might be the first pub in Aberdeen that I ever had like a pint in. It wasn't the first pub I had a pint in, but it might be the first pub 
in Aberdeen at the time. And, and I remember it had a, when I was at school, when I finished high school in Mintlock, uh, Cafe Drummond had a bit of a sort of mythos around it. Cause I knew some guys that were a bit, were a bit older than me that were in bands and they were trying to they, get a gig in Cafe Drummond and everything. Um, but the, the headline is, sorry, not the headline, the story is, uh, new emergency funding has been handed out to 11 venues across the north and the northeast with hopes that it will keep them afloat until the summer. The businesses have received almost half a million pounds in total with the money designed to keep them going while they've been shut due to the coronavirus pandemic. It says popular rock band in Aberdeen, Krakatoa, which I think might be the old lava or the works, maybe down the stairs, maybe? Okay, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I probably should have looked that up before I read this out. They got 60 grand, which um, Craig Adams, one of the guys who works there, has said that um, that will keep them going until July. He said that the this should secure our future until we can go back to work when COVID restrictions allow. We won't. We don't envisage live music will be able to return until July, going by what the government has said so far. It would be good if it returned before that. But this funding will last until then. Hopefully by that time, people will be vaccinated, which will allow us to pick up where we left off. Five other Aberdeen venues received a share of the money. The iconic Blue Lamp uh, on the Gallagate mm. got 10 grand to help them yeah. stay open. Drummond's on Belmont Street got 60 grand. The tunnels on Carnegie Bray, I was never in the tunnels. That opened after I left Aberdeen. Uh, they got 50 grand as well. And two more of the city's favourite night spots, Unit 51, not sure where that is, and the Bridge Street Social Club, which I'm hoping is the old Escobar but I'm not sure I really should have looked that up before I started reading all this out so I thought that was quite quite a nice story to sort of finish the news on unless you'll get anything else uh, and it just reminded me of um because I did, I, I was lucky enough to see some some good local bands and and Drummonds had some good nights there when I was a student watching the whatever band was on. So I'm glad that um, I'm glad that they've been given a chance to to stay open. You ever see some good bands and Drummonds? Um, yeah, I'm sure I did. I can't think of any off the top of my head, like name wise, yeah. but yeah, went to Drummond's a few times. It was, it was always good. Uh, but yeah, I can confirm. I did look it up. The Bridge Street Social Club is indeed the old Esco Bar. Oh, brilliant. Yes. As we would know it. We had some good times in there, don't we? We certainly did. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Perhaps best not dwelt on. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Oh, I'm glad to hear that, though, because I think uh, a lot of places are struggling. And yeah, I've, I've had some good um, drummings, say not so much. A few of the other places you mentioned I haven't been to either, but I'd, I've had a couple of good days in the Blue Lamp Yeah, back in the day, usually before I'd go to the football or something, have a few pints and then probably end up there on the way back as well. So yeah, I'm glad to hear, because that is quite a, an Aberdeen institution as well, yeah. the Blue Lamp. Yeah, definitely. Def- I mean, I, I saw a bit of stand-up comedy there, not when I was living in Aberdeen, when I was, I was going up for work now and again, and uh, a mate of mine who was a bit of a part-time stand-up comic, uh, Scott Ironside, from he's in he's in One Day Removals, him and I were at school together, um, I went to see him, there were some other good uh, stand-up comics there, but yeah, no, that's that's good, I'm glad that uh, they've been given a lifeline, these, uh, these venues in Aberdeen. Do you have any more stories for us? No, no. That's me for the news this week. I'm all done. It was your choice this week for a review, so why don't you introduce it? Oh, thank you very much. Yes, yes, it was indeed my choice. And I think slightly, kind of, as I mentioned, I struggled to think of, of what to do this week. And then because it was my birthday, I I, I was thinking of famous kind of birthdays and, and the age you get to. And that's why I stumbled upon the 2002 film by the legendary Ken Loach. 
and written by Paul Laverty, Sweet Sixteen. Brilliant. For those unfamiliar with the the plot, uh, Sweet Sixteen tells the story of Liam, uh, a teenager from a troubled background who wants to make a fresh start with his mother when she's completed her prison sentence for a crime. Now, this is in the synopsis. Is this mentioned in the film? We'll come back to that. But for a crime that her boyfriend, Stan, actually committed. Liam dreams of starting afresh in a caravan park in West Kilbride, but he needs to raise the money for the caravan quickly, which leads to him getting into some problems with the law and making some enemies in the process. So you'd mentioned that you went to the cinema to see this film, Greg, I think, on the last episode. It's it's, yeah. been a long time since you've seen it. So what, what's your first memories of, of Sweet Sixteen? Well, I, I just moved back to Glasgow after years in the northeast. And I, I'd met this um, this Canadian girl who whose parents were Scottish. She was born in Canada and she was she was working in Scotland. I was quite keen on her. I found her to be quite exotic. She wasn't as keen on me as I was on her. And she was also a wee bit older than me, but her and I went to see it at the cinema one Friday night at the Odeon on Redfield Street in Glasgow. And she was, uh, we were the, I think it was the only ones in there. We went to like a sort of late afternoon, early evening screening. I would have probably gone to see it anyway because I'm a, I'm a, I've been a, ever since I was kind of teenager, I've been a fan of Ken Loach. I like his movies. I like I, they obviously we all saw Kez when we were younger and stuff like um, My Name Is Joe and stuff like that. So I, I, mm. I would have been keen to see it anyway. But uh, yeah, her and I went to see it. And she um she found it a bit um she enjoyed it, but obviously her I, I can only assume that her adolescence in um Edmonton in Canada was somewhat different to the adolescence that Liam and Pinball and Co. are going through in Speed Sixteen. But it's uh I mean it, you know, it's uh true it's got all it's got all the Ken Loach's little touches on there you know it's uh I, I really enjoyed watching it again I really enjoyed it although it, it's fucking bleak <laughs> do you know what I mean it's pretty bleak you know like so the the this this the sort of lighter moments in the movie are a are a kind of are a massive kind of relief but I think you're always waiting for something horrendous to happen to to the to them all you know uh oh yeah certainly uh d- d- and there are some funny moments in the film but yeah it it's, it's as you say, it's bleak, yeah. and but it's it's not hard going at all. If you know what I mean, in mm. terms of it's not difficult to watch as such. But I think it, it does fit in with a lot of Ken Loach's films that they are bleak, they are hard going, they are really just a little snapshot of what life is like in that area mm-hmm. or the place that he has you know, decided to to film. In um, and I think it is very true to life and very realistic as well. Yeah, for sure. You know, the the, the characters are very recognisable. I think you know. I mean, you know, the, the sort of young guys, and I suppose they might be they might get the kind of Ned label in certain parts of in certain parts of Scotland. But you know, the the the, the relationship between um, Liam, played by Martin Compton, who obviously would go on to he's a real success story of the movie, um, and. Um, uh, I don't. I'll, t- I'll hopefully pronounce his name right. It's William Ruan who plays pinball. Am I? Do you think that's right? Yeah, yeah. I think so. 
Yeah, I mean the relationship between them is is great, you know. Like, and I think I, I read that I, I don't know about uh, William Ruan, but I know that in Martin Compson's case, he had he had no, he had never acted before. He was uh, mm. he was on the path to being or maybe being a professional footballer. It says in Wikipedia, I don't know if this is true on Wikipedia, but apparently he'd been on the books at Aberdeen when he was a teenager before he signed for Morton, which is the local team in Greenock. Um, when he left school in uh, uh, fifth year, but he had like zero uh, experience acting, uh, according to the, the online information. And I know that like, if you like watching a lot of Ken Loach's films, you know the script. I think. Um, is always more of a sort of guide. I think he encourages his his actors to improvise their dialogue, so mm. so it comes so it, it 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 becomes it comes over much more naturally than if it's scripted. And you know, he's 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 great in it. He, he, I think he's in almost every single scene in the film, right? Is he? I'm I'm trying to think now, and I think yeah. I mean, there are a couple of scenes. I think when. Uh, for example, to skip ahead a bit, when they're doing the the, the drug deals mm. on the scooters, yeah. there are a couple of parts where it's maybe one of the others is delivering and you don't see him, but uh-huh. he's still in the scene technically. Um, but yeah, he's in pretty much every single scene and part of the film. You don't really see any of the other characters interacting as such without him being there. You know, you don't really see Stan and uh, his grandfather. Mm-hmm without Liam being involved in that scene. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. Martin Comston is just fantastic in this. And you would never have thought that, as you say, it was kind of his first role. And he really does shine out in the film. And you really believe the character. Um, The first time I saw this, I remember I was working in Blockbuster, I think, at the time. And it must have come out on DVD. And it was like one of the new releases. And I remember stacking it on the shelves. And as part of the job, you watched films. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you've got 10 free rentals a week. So this was, I rented this as soon as it came out because I read the back and thought, this sounds really good. I remember watching it and kind of, yeah, being blown away at the time, thinking it was so good. And I remember giving it to my mum and she watched it and she really enjoyed it as well. And I think it was just kind of that film that it just, it can appeal to everyone Mm -hmm. as well. And everyone can see maybe a different part of it that for you know maybe she liked the the fact the relationship you know Liam it's a young kid trying to do well for his mum and maybe that appealed to her and and of course to me I can't remember at the time probably what appealed to me so much I think it was maybe just the seeing the raw Scottishness and the the drug deals and yeah violence and probably the language I think that's probably what appealed overall to me but watching it back now yeah I really enjoyed it again it's a uh, It's a really great film in terms of the... It's very powerful and, yeah, really just really enjoyed it. In terms of the actual story, I mean, I think you can see at the beginning, they're just little wide little neds, as you say it, like they're charging 25p a go on the telescope. Yeah. And, you know, so that they could have a look at Saturn. Would Saturn be that clear through a telescope is one of my questions. I mean... I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I've always wondered that. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't think I've never looked through a telescope at the on a I've never looked through a telescope like that on a clear night sky, so I I, I have no idea. If you're listening and you know the answer, then please let us know. Put us out of misery. And then obviously you see them going round the pub selling fags, and that's something you don't really see nowadays, I guess. No. But I don't know if you. I don't think I ever really saw that back in the day of people going round pubs selling fags. But I guess it's a certain 
type of pub that people would do that in. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I can remember going to the Dawn View when I was at college in Aberdeen and we were at the, the Gordon Centre in the Bridge of Dawn. And we used to go to the Dawn View at lunchtime for a pint and a bit of lunch. And I remember guys coming in selling, like, knockoff shirts. Like, I can't remember what the brand, maybe they say Pierre Cardin shirts or something like that, for like a, 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 a tenner each. <laughs> mm. Um, but I don't remember anybody. I don't remember anybody selling cigarettes. So you meet Stan and grandfather as well. And when they're going to, to visit Liam's mum in prison, and instantly you know the dynamic that they're not very nice no. uh, people in terms of especially to Liam, and they're just kind of using him in a way. And yeah, is it? Did I miss it? Is it mentioned explicitly in the film that Liam's mum is in prison for something that Stan had done? She'd taken the blame for. I think it's, it's sort of implied. You know, obviously Stan's a, a drug dealer, and you know, it's we we learn sort of anecdotally. Uh, later on in the film that Liam's mum is potentially a drug addict or at the very least a former uh, a recovering drug addict so it's never really clear whether she's I, th- I think actually I think he does say later on that she took the rap for something that Stan did I think he does say that later okay. on in the film doesn't he now, now, now that I think back it's, yeah it's definitely implied when he goes to visit and he has been instructed he's, he's hiding drugs in his mouth that he's instructed to kiss his fucking mother kiss your fucking and it's very he does say to her you know what's all this about i thought you were clean mm-hmm. and she does say i am clean it's it's you know for selling to other women which I suppose it's quite a good little racket if you can get it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure we can. Uh, I'm not sure we can condone that type of behaviour. <laughs> no, definitely not be doing that. But it's, it strikes me. Liam obviously decides that he wants to do better for his mum and, and help her to escape the kind of clutches of Stan and grandfather once she gets out of prison. And that's why he wants to build a new life for her with this caravan. And it's kind of ironic that he wants to get her away from the clutches of drug dealing Stan. But the only way that he can actually do that is to start selling drugs himself yeah. to get the money and I suppose it's a bit of a vicious kind of little cycle that he goes through there which leads to a, a brilliant scene when they are kind of spying on Stan and Grandad with the binoculars and <laughs> they're plotting to steal the drugs and he gives the, the crank phone call <laughs> to stand about the is it does he start off with double glazing or yeah. something <laughs> I think it starts with double glazing and then it's oh, it's a fitted kitchen isn't it <laughs> hello Stan speaking what can I do for you um, excuse me sir can I interest you in some double glazing windows nah not the day sir not the day what about a fitted kitchen then nah but look I'll tell you I don't want fuck all you know what I mean I tell you what, what about any new top range dildos because you sound like a bit of a what? cock jockey <laughs> fuck you you little <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Stan, the, the actor who plays Stan has been in a lot of things. He's been acting for a long time. Gary McCormick, he's, you know, he's, kind of, he's done a little bit, he's done a wee bit of Hollywood as well. The, the last thing I've seen him in recently, uh, I watched the, the Acid House, the, um, Irvin Welsh uh, adaptation. It's not. It's not a good. But I guess we'll we'll cover it in a later episode. It's he's in the um he's in the story the Grant and Star Cause. He plays Stephen McCall's friend. He, he doesn't really. He's you know obviously he comes from Edinburgh. He just 
he just speaks. It's really. He's, he, I think he sounds really out of place in this film because he just keeps his Edinburgh accent when he's mm. uh, when he's talking to. You know, it's all like Kishamai and that kind of thing. Um, a very sort of East Coast accent. But I, so I suppose he can. I suppose it's fine. I mean, I, I guess it's fine. Stan could have moved from Edinburgh through to to Greenock. Yeah, certainly could have. I, I mean, he is great in it. You actually really believe. Yeah. That he is this. Arsel, he does play the role really well, uh, especially later on in the film as well. Yeah, uh, but he's yeah, he's very good as the, the the kind of guy that you want to hate. Yeah, as well. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I love the scene where when um, uh, Liam and Pinball go to steal Stan's drugs from under the under the kennel, and the dogs' names there's Harry Boz and Nabos. <laughs> I, I did love that. Yeah, that that's one down is one of my. Uh, uh, funny moments, but yeah, that's that's brilliant. Now they go there to steal the drugs, which is obviously hidden under a floorboard in the dog's kennel. They're not exactly quiet about it. <laughs> no. They're like pretty loud, and then they've both got torches and they're sh- flashing them everywhere. And as you can see when they're spying on them, that garden area is quite exposed. All of the houses in the row can see it, so they're not exactly being subtle. Yeah, about breaking in and doing this especially when Liam then climbs the the drain pipe to break into the house <laughs> to steal his granddad's teeth i mean do you think do you think granddad's supposed to be his i guess it's supposed to be his mother's um father right yeah yeah, yeah because he well yeah, it must be, because he does say, well, he says my own flesh and blood, so it could be his dad's dad, but no, I would imagine it's his... It's his mum's. His uh, his mum's father. Yeah, because there's there's that scene when, um, that I think it's the same scene you mentioned earlier when Pinball and he are looking out the window with the binoculars, and he says, look, there's your dad, and he say, Liam says, fuck off, that's not my dad, Pinball says... Yeah, it, it could be your dad. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's obviously <laughs> a bit of, uh, bit of ambiguity over who his dad is. Pinball's uh hey, he's a dab hand at cutting up smack, isn't he? Yeah. He's, and sorted all that out, yeah. But he's a bit of a tragic character, Pinball, I think, isn't he? I mean, obviously they, they say how his father was a was a drug addict and that's how he learned how to how to cut it all up, you know. And I do feel sorry for Pinball because okay, they've stolen these drugs. So they're gonna sell the drugs to get money so that Liam can get this caravan that he can escape to with his mum. Mm-hmm. What's Pinball getting out of this? He's cutting up the drugs. He's helping to sell. But Liam's a, a right selfish arsehole in terms of all this money goes to the caravan. What's what's Pinball getting out of this? Well he gets to go he gets to go for a for a picnic. <laughs> Basically. I mean that seems to be what what it's being sold to him on. Hey we can come up here and have picnics in the caravan. That's true. Yeah, maybe. That's that's yeah, it's not much of an offer. No. I, I think I'd be turning round and being like well okay look you're my best mate i'm gonna help you with this but surely i should be getting something out of this i'm taking a bit of a fucking risk here going around selling drugs on the street and i'm not gonna get anything out of it yeah i know i know it's about it's a bit tight on pinball and then of course he does uh get quite tragic for pinball as, as later on um and that's why you do feel sorry for him but then kind of turn a little bit later on in the film to maybe feeling less sorry for him. But, the, but then, I mean, I, I don't know what... We never really find out what's happened to Pinball, right? Because, you know, it's just... There's, there's that scene between him and Liam when he cuts his face on purpose 
and all that. And then he just sort of we, ne- we never hear from him again. It's all about it's all about up in the air, you know. Well, that's the thing because say pinball's been a little fucking naff, and it comes down, I think, to jealousy basically on, on his front. And she say to skip ahead, you know, pinball burns down the caravan, which kind of as a little act of vengeance against Liam because he's pissed off at the relationship Liam's really got with with Tony Douglas. Mm-hmm. He steals Tony Douglas's car, rams it into the health club, and I think obviously Liam's told to take care of him and kill him. But so do you actually think he did? No, I don't think so because he phones an ambulance for him, doesn't he? After Pinball cuts his own cheek, so I I, I just sort of assumed yeah. that maybe he said to Pinball, "Look, you need to keep a low profile or 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 disappear or whatever, or these guys are going to kill you." You know, that's what that's what I took from it. Yeah, that's what I was hoping. Because obviously the next scene you see him phoning mm-hmm. Tony Douglas to say that it had been taken care of, but don't know. Maybe that's what he meant, as in Penball's going to go and lay low for a while. And as you say, you know, we do end up feeling a bit sorry for Pinball in that scene at the end. And not at the end, but that last scene that he's in, because, you know, he's like, him and um, Liam are supposed to be these really close friends that you said before he's feeling like left out because this guy Douglas is taking a shine to Liam and is you know and all that sort of stuff and you know he's just he's a, he's just a bit he's a bit left on his own you know I, I thought there was a scene where we could where we found pinball um like kind of used and smack but I, I guess not I mean a lot of times I've seen the film I know obviously that scene that I just mentioned is in it's in a kind it's supposed to be like in a sort of junkies flat right because mm. he's in looking he's asking everybody uh blah 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 uh, on the street where this flat is and whatnot, and there's the, there's the three the three kind of users in there that he, he throws out so he can speak to Pinball on his own. Yeah, I think it's implied because it is mentioned a couple of times throughout the film that Liam does say to him, like, you know, we're not using any of this in terms of the drugs that they've got. Mm-hmm. And so I think it is implied that, yeah, Pinball has used smack in the past. And when Liam does turn up at the, the drug den, Pinball's off his face. Yeah, yeah. So he's definitely been taking something. Yeah, I mean, and like, the, the guy who plays Pinball, William Ruan, and again, hopefully we're pronouncing his name properly. I think after this, he went on to be in, he was in River City for quite a few years. And he's in another Ken Loach film that, that hopefully Hopefully we'll do called um, the Angel Share. Maybe we'll do oh. it in a future one. But he's 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 really good in this. You know, as I say, I, I don't know if he had um, oh. I don't know if he had any experience of um, any acting experience before because there's not an awful lot of information about him online. But uh, he's um, you know he, he's like you said at the beginning, like all the characters are very believable. But he, he's particularly good, I think, as the, the sort of slighted best mate. Yeah, he really is. And as you said earlier, they've got a great dynamic, the two of them. And even when they're with the rest of the gang, like their their other the two kind of chubbier friends, the nighttime and pizza driver, yeah, what's the name? Nighttime and psychic. That's it. The relationship the three, well, the four of them kind of have. You could tell good mates. I love that bit when Liam is recording his tapes for Jean to send into prison <laughs> and he passes it on. And is it night time that says, like, I hope your porridge isn't too lumpy, Jean? <laughs> yeah, okay. Say something. Uh, hope your porridge isn't too lumpy, Jean. <laughs> <laughs> Not from <serious. laughs> Please, 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 please. It's all laughing. They kind of look at him like, what? And he said, well, I hope it isn't, you know. <laughs> no. I guess that's true. <laughs> Lumpy porridge in prison. <laughs> um, I think a lot of the, the actors, as you say, I think Ken Loach does like to 
pluck local actors kind of mm-hmm. from nowhere or local people and put them in his films. And there are a lot of the, the younger actors that this is their only role yeah. that they've done. I think those two and um especially the uh the girl that plays Suzanne. Yeah. Yeah, that's her only role. And it's funny Watching it again, I was kind of transported back to watching it the first time and thinking, oh, Suzanne's lovely. Yeah, yeah. But now it's probably inappropriate for me to say that watching it now, that she is. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure she's. I'm sure she's probably not that much younger than you now. Anyway, mate, she must be in her late twenties by now. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of them. It's their only acting credit. Or I think the the actress um, that plays his sister, uh, Chantel Anne Marie Fulton. Fulton. I think she has been in like River City as well. Yeah, for quite a, a while. She and, yeah you know, again. I was going to say, I think, I think she only, I think she only left River City last year. I had a, I had a look at her IMDb. I think she, I think she was in it almost from the beginning, whenever River City started up until it's but it's quite a long time. I think, well, if you mentioned River City as one character, you instantly think of, or I do anyway. And of course, he appears in the film as well in a very minor role. Stephen Purdon that plays Shell Suit Bob. Ah, oh, instantly <laughs> I would think a Shell Suit Bob. But yeah, he's got a very, very small role as one of the three guys that kind of mug Liam. And that's a, a brilliant scene as well. I mean, Liam just, the determination he has, is he's not given up. Like three times he comes back, you know, he's my fucking gear. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell the guy, like the older one out of the three, is getting really pissed <laughs> off. Yeah. He just keeps coming back. <laughs> you kind of you feel so sorry for Liam at that point as well. And then when they're walking in the stairwell, you're like, "How the fuck?" He's standing there with a two by four, like hacksaw Jim Duggan, <laughs> yeah, with uh, with pinball next to him. <laughs> it's just the geese my fucking gear. Fair play, they get it back as well. I know, I know. Do you do you remember? Do you remember that we saw um we saw Stephen Perdon in um in the garage that time that you came down to Glasgow the weekend that we went to see um the football factory we went. In the garage the Monday night, and yeah. we saw him and one of the other actors from uh, River City, like when the young guys can't remember, I can't remember the actor's name or indeed the character that he played. But uh, I remember, I remember we saw them, and I remember that we spoke. I can't remember, I can't remember exactly what we said to them because I was hammered. I'm sure I probably made a bit of a fool of myself. But I remember the next night when I was when I was working in the restaurant at the Key, and he <laughs> just. By complete, complete coincidence, he came in with his girlfriend for dinner, and I was like, "Oh, how you doing?" Remember we met last night in the garage, and he was like, "Stop!" Like giving me the, like, no, she hasn't heard. Don't say it again. <laughs> but he, he, he used to come when I when I worked in the restaurant at Glasgow Fort. He used to come in there quite a lot. Uh, Stephen Perdon. I think he, I think he used to live up in the east end of Glasgow somewhere. Oh well, as long as you didn't get him into any trouble and you got him a good alibi, you've probably just landed him in some trouble right now, though. Yeah, really. <laughs> Well, it was like, I mean, we're, we're talking like, what, 20, almost 20 years ago, 17 years ago. So I'm sure he's probably happily married by now. <laughs> so the the big kind of crime lord, Tony Douglas, he's, is that uh, a bit stereotypical? It's the type of thing you would kind of want to see in like, well, like River City, for example, that he is a massive drug dealer, but he runs a health club. <laughs> no, so bizarre. It's kind of the cover. Yeah. I mean, I've got to be honest, that bit, that, 
I mean, that's one bit of the film that I don't think is held up all that well. You know, like the way like Liam's sort of admiration when they're waiting for him is that I mean, look at this. And like, there's there's this health club in Greenock with these beautiful women just sitting about in bikinis on metal chairs, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I did think that was a bit strange, but it's I suppose it's to show the maybe the the lifestyle that I guess the two kind of different lifestyles of a low level drug dealer like Stan yeah. compared to Tony Douglas and look at everything he's got. He dresses in sharp suits. He's got all these women in bikinis surrounding him. He drives a, a flash Toyota. Toyota. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a health club. <laughs> and then of course as you see him later on, you know, and he drinks espressos. That's the sign of a, a continental gentleman. Yeah. Um that that drinks espressos when he's he's doing his uh, shady drug deals. <laughs> For like fifteen year old boys. Yeah. Exactly. I do like the, the that is one of my favourite parts of the film as well, is the, the scene when they're effectively testing Liam and they, they bundle him into the Range Rover and take him to the, the, the nightclub. Mm-hmm. And his kind of task is that he gets shown a photo of Guy Scullion and he's got to do him in. And the tension when Liam is kind of pacing around in the the cellar of this pub waiting for the barmaid to come back and give him the nod is is brilliant. You know, it's a really good acting from Martin Compson. You really believe, you know, he's kind of practicing knifing the guy as well. You actually really feel quite tense. And then when he goes into the toilets, you're you're kind of with him in terms of this tension thinking, Jesus Christ, is he actually going to do this? Yeah, and then of course it it just turns out to be a test, and they don't want him to they they don't want him to stab the guy. They just wanted to see if he was going to stab him. But do you know what's a bit weird about that scene? Maureen the barmaid. So Maureen the barmaid is the one that's letting him in the back door, slipping him the knife and everything. But I mean, she might as well just be showing him around school on his first day. Do you know what I mean? Hi, yeah. hiya, Liam. Come on in, right? He's just in the toilet. Okay, this is for you. <laughs> we'll wait until he goes to the toilet and then I'll send you through okay I'll come for you in a wee minute Liam alright I was like wait a minute you're setting him up to do a murder here <laughs> you could have committed a bit more to Maureen not to take anything away from her performance but she kind of reminded me of like a like a Karen Dunbar sketch yeah do you know what I mean yeah like that's the way it would kind of be done uh-huh. like just so as you say like it's kind of so matter off the cuff like okay here you go yeah yeah it takes maybe a bit of the tension away from the scene I suppose but I, I always, I've always wondered where they filmed that scene because those toilets are fancy aren't they with a kind of waterfall from like ceiling to floor oh yeah yeah very true yeah no it's a very nice establishment you wouldn't think so when you're kind of seeing the cellar but I suppose <laughs> uh, yeah fancy toilets and then and then as you say it's all about test and Liam gets to get smashed with them, which is very good. Yeah. Just to mention the actor who plays Douglas, the health club owning drug kingpin of Inverclyde. That actor, John Morrison, he he's in a couple of uh so you know Peter McDougall who wrote um, Just a Boys Game that we reviewed on an earlier episode of the Swallow. Well, he there's a couple of other there's a couple of other plays for today that he wrote. There's one called um, well he actually wrote a few, but the two that John Morrison's in there's Just Another Saturday, uh, which is about a young guy played by John Morrison. He's a lead in this uh, who is uh, a, I'm not sure what you I kind of I'm not sure what you call the person who marches in front of an orange band and throws a pole up in the air, but he plays that character and Billy Conley's in that one too so I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll cover it on a, another episode but he's in um, another one called uh, The Elephant's Graveyard which is a two-hander with him and Billy Conley where they, pl- mm. they, they play two guys that are basically 
hiding from them, hiding from their wives because they've lost their jobs and they spend the day in the woods, uh, just having conversations and dicking about, um, rather than face the music at home. Uh, and he's, he's a, he's actually in those plays. He's a really, really, really good actor. And you have to want, I mean, he, he has had like a fairly steady career, a lot of it on TV and stuff. <laughs> but yeah, I always wonder, I always wondered why he never really got his chance to do like more high profile stuff. Cause he's a good actor. Well, it's, well, he's, I, I don't know that, uh, Sweet Sixteen is, is a particularly good example, but in other things that he's been in, he's, he's really good, but he's, He's enough. When I was when I was looking him up um, for the podcast, I found I found one that he's in from 1983. It's not a Scottish one, but I'm definitely going to watch it. It's like one of these old kind of low budget British horror horror films called Slayground. And the synopsis says: Thieves run over a child while escaping after a robbery. A deadly hitman who likes to taunt his targets is hired to track them down. And that just sounds like something that I need to watch. I, I, I'll. I'm hoping that it's on that it's on YouTube. I'll update you on the next episode of the Swally. So I think we would need to touch upon the language mm. in this film. Yeah. And I know it was given an 18 certificate basically because of the language. I believe the word fuck is used 313 times. Yep. And cunt over 20 times. <laughs> when it was given an 18 certificate, Ken Loach was fucking livid about this. And he really went on a campaign saying it was a disgrace. He urged people under 18 to go and break the law and try and sneak in and see this film because he believed it was so important that the youth needed to see it because that's kind of who he made it for. Mm -hmm. And he did say that it was a great interview, um, I believe, with him. And he'd said the word cunt would be out of place if you said it at like Royal Ascot or Wimbledon or something. But in a in a street corner in the west of Scotland, that's the language that you use. Mm -hmm. And it's the language that 15 people, uh, 15 people, <laughs> 15, 16 year olds would use at that time. And still to this day. So I think I can see his point. I can see the, the BBFC's point as well. They have rules that they have to stick to. But you'd think they'd make an exception in saying that, you know, this is quite an important film that people would, should be going to see. Yeah, I mean, I read that Martin Compton successfully managed to get it brought down to a 15 rating in the Inverclyde area because the the, the local council can um, can uh, have a say on it as well. And for exactly the reasons that you just mentioned, he his argument for making it accessible for young for teenagers and uh, 15, 16 years old was to learn from the characters' mistakes. Mm. You know, to sort of learn the kind of moral and ethical lessons from the movie. I mean, on that, on that about Inverclyde. Now, Greenock, uh, we've, I mentioned it a few moments ago. Greenock is where Just a Boys Game is also set. This movie's set mm. partly in Greenock, partly, partly in Gurick, and partly in uh, West Colbride. But the thing about Greenock is it's the gateway to some beautiful parts of Scotland. You know, you've, you've still got to, you've, you've got to drive through Largs and stuff, but they, you can, you can get to Danoon, you can get the ferry to Tarbet, you can, um, you can, uh, what do you call it? You can get the ferry over to Millport, to Rossi, to Butte, to the Isle of Arran. You know, the scenery's lovely and, and there's some great shots in the movie with, um, 
some great views, like great views, mm. like oh, yeah. you know, like, like Port Glasgow and Greenock do have a a reputation as being you know a bit kind of sort of poorer locations, a bit a bit rough. But it, like we said about Falkirk earlier, it's like everywhere else. There's nice bits and there's kind of run down bits and the kind of poorer parts of town and stuff. But uh, you could do a lot worse um, the next time you're in Scotland with uh, with Mrs. Kemp to kind of taking her down to Inverclyde and up into the islands and stuff around there. I'm sure she'll like it if you get the if you get the weather for it and uh, Mary Hill if you're listening <laughs> yeah. there's some better places for you to go <laughs> but yeah I mean I think you know there's a it's a funny film this because as much as there there's a lot of brilliant really light hearted scenes I mean I'm just reminded just reminded of my notes there about the scene at the very beginning when um, Liam helps the lorry driver back out of the alley and prompt and over the policeman's motorbike. Yeah, but there, there, there is a, there's a sort of like, there's a sort of helplessness about it. You know, like we mentioned before, you, you, you sort of know when Liam and Pinball sort of set out in that path that nothing is, it, it's not going to work out the way that Liam is planning it. You know what I mean? Um, you know, it's just, there's the, the odds are well and truly stacked against them. And I would think sort of partly because of the choices that he's made, but also the environment, you know. So if he doesn't do this to make money, what's he going to do? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's a a struggle because, as you say, he's only 15. And, yeah, what else is he going to do to get the money together to that he needs to get quickly to escape and set up this ideal life with his Mm mum and rescue her from Stan? But, yeah, there's nothing else that he can do to get that money. Yeah, I think his, his granddad mentions in the scene at the beginning when they were in the prison that he's Liam's not been anywhere near school for nine months. Mm. And, you know, he's always he's selling cigarettes and stuff at, at the beginning. Um, but she should maybe mention his mum because mm. I don't know about you. I just I just found her really annoying, and I, I don't mean the actress that I don't mean the actress that plays her. I guess you know she's she's playing a part. But you know, you're kind of wondering why is uh, why is it so important to Liam? You know, well maybe that's maybe I should phrase it differently. It's obviously important to him because it's his mum. But you know, it, 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 I, th- I think the frustration comes from the fact that you know as soon as she comes out of prison despite everything that Liam's managed to arrange for her, like the apartment and everything, um, overlooking the the water in like a nice part of town and stuff, you know that she's going to fuck it up somehow, you know yeah. uh, and you know there's 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 that, that really powerful scene with Liam and his sister um, who's supported them, like the uh, Chantel played by Anne-Marie Fulton who supported them, who's taken them in, who clearly kind of loves them and, and, and cares for them and is trying to warn him that his mum's going to let him down and he, he kind of turns on her in that scene and he, so you know he, I guess he attacks her but he, he stops short of seriously hurting her and it's just born out of pure frustration I think because as you say like Chantel has obviously seen this a few times probably and that's why I think her and her mother they don't really have a great relationship yeah and Liam you know, he's only 15 he's obviously a mummy's boy and he's done all of this for his mum and the literally the first opportunity she's had to fuck off and go back to Stan she has and it's obviously anger in him upset in him frustration and I guess his Chantel saying those things to him just drives him over the edge and he as you say basically attacks her Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't have thought that was in character for Liam, but it just shows that everything that he's been trying to do for the whole film has just been screwed up. So 
Yeah, I think it's the that's um, what you know kind of takes him. I think you know, I think we sort of learn from the conversations between Liam and and Chantel that you know, I think there's a there's a scene where she mentions how they were in a children's home because they the, the mother rejected them both and then has got into trouble with drugs and stuff and I think it's that you know for Liam it's that sort of it's a sort of realization although he won't admit it that he's he's been rejected again despite everything that he's done to I guess to kind of make his mother love him and to make his mother want to be with him and yet as you say she's repeating the same behavior that she's obviously exhibited before when they were younger and he's having to deal with that rejection and he can't deal with it you know like because it it leads to him going and confronting her and at stan and his granddad's house and that kind of last scene at the towards the end of the film where he um he ends up stabbing stan when stan taunts him when he's trying to persuade his mother to come back to the the nice flat that he's got and a hugely powerful scene and that's the stan in particular it is fantastic there the taunting you really believe and and you're getting angry as well watching it yeah and you're hoping that something can happen and liam can do something and well he does yeah and do you think stan dies or well i think possibly because you hear the you know the very last scene when liam's on the beach you know and he's obviously wondering what he's going to do now you know like the pinball's not there anymore where he is we're not quite sure fault you know he's fallen out with his sister he's been rejected by his mother He's just stabbed this guy, obviously wondering what what to do next when uh, Chantel calls him and tells him that the police are looking for him. So you would you would think that a character like Stan probably wouldn't be pressing charges for being stabbed because he would be like, I'll just, you know, that sort of yeah. criminal justice thing, I'll sort it out myself. So I wonder if um, I wonder if Stan has maybe kind of bled to death on the floor, and uh, and of course you know then the police are going to be looking for Liam in connection with murder, then right? So I do that. So that that's what I thought. I thought maybe Stan had checked out, and uh, that's why the police were looking for him. And then what do you think happens to Liam next? What does he do? Well, that's the thing. I mean, that's why the film's a you know it's a it's a bit of a downer because. You know, I guess his his options are he gives himself up to the police and goes into uh you know this kind of you know it w- it, w- it would be jail, young offenders and then maybe prison, or he runs away and gets arrested later on or or what you know that's the thing it's just you know you and the thing and I think that's what makes it quite a tough movie because as much as Liam is breaking the law and he's selling drugs and everything you can't. And it's because of Martin Compton's performance. You still really like him, and you can imagine, yeah, you can imagine meeting him and having a bit of kind of cheeky banter with him and whatnot, you know, and and probably quite liking him, you know, because he's a bit wide and you know he's yeah that that line that he says that or that endears uh, John Morrison's character to him when he says to Liam, do, do you know what initiative is? And he says to Martin McCarty's character, is it laughing at your boss's jokes? You know, so he's, he's, he's you know, so he's obviously like an intelligent, you know, maybe not academically intelligent, but like a sharp, fly, smart young guy, you know. Um, and then you know, he's just he's in he's in this impossible situation at the end of the film. That's what I'd written down as well. He's he's a a wide little bastard, but he is very switched on, as you say, and uh, yeah. He's- pretty funny with it as well yeah yeah he's a yeah no he's a a character you can't help but root for and you want him to see do well and you want it to work out for him but yeah unfortunately 
Doesn't. Doesn't. Yep. Did you spot, that's it, did you spot um, the actor at the beginning of the film playing the police officer? No, I didn't, but I did think he looked a bit familiar. None other than Matt Costello, who plays the bookie in Still Game. Ah, but he's, he's in like millions, of, ah. he's in hundreds of things. Um, I actually I actually saw him, I took my daughter to see Wonder Woman 1984 at Christmas, and he's got he's got a part in that, he's got a small part in that as a driver, like a really small part doing an American accent, but Matt Costello is one of these actors, he's a bit like um, uh, the actor in City Lights who plays Tam, uh, Chancellor's pal, who's just... You know, he was just in everything. Uh, Ian McCall. Ian McCall. That's I it. think. Yeah. Is it Ian McCall? I think. Yeah. yeah, I think so. You know, he's he's a wee bit like that. He's just he seems to have been in. You know, I can remember seeing him on on telly when I was a kid in like a really old episode of Taggart when he was a lot younger. He was in Small Faces. Yeah, actually, you're gonna have to. You may have to put him on the Taggart on the uh, on the Swally tally. He's got two appearances now. Well. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is very true. Because that's what we were talking about just earlier um, in terms of the, the Swally Tally appearances. Uh, Gary McCormack, who plays Stan. Yeah. He's up there now because he's in The Young Person's Guide to Becoming a Rockstar and he's in Complicity. That's right. And now he's in Sweet 16. So he's, <laughs> he's on the board. He's possibly in joint second place at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> certainly is. <laughs> But I'm very impressive. You see, Swally Tally can change. I know, changing a day. Uh, and then I know that I know that you don't get as enthusiastic about these things as I do. But there's a good key catch in Sweet Sixteen as well when uh, when um, <laughs> when Liam tosses the keys to the new flat to Chantel and she just snatches them out of the air. You do love a key I catch. Like a don't you? I do like a good key catch. So uh, on that note, should we put uh, Sweet Sixteen through the through the awards? Let's do it. Yeah. Now, the first one's a tough one, but archetypal Scottish moment? It is quite tough because there's a lot going on in the film. I've, I've actually got two okay. down. Uh, the first one is nighttime. If it is nighttime, I'll have to check. Um, asking Jean if her porridge, or hoping her porridge isn't too lumpy. And my second one it actually involves the, the police officer at the start, the motorbike policeman. Right. Because when the, the truck knocks over the, the police bike and the truck driver comes out and he sees the police officer coming towards him, he says, oh, fuck, it's super cop. <laughs> and that just, <laughs> obviously, the Ricky Fulton character in Scotch and Rye. So yeah. I, I had that down as my two kind of Scottish moments. But what about yourself? I, I had the super, the, the super cop uh, uh, comment as well um, and then the only other one really that I had was because I, the whole thing the, the, the whole movie could be it's just a series of archetypal Scottish moments in a sense um, yeah. but the the selection of the caravan and you know for the holiday and all that kind of thing for some reason to me to, going on holiday uh, in, a, in a caravan down in Inverclyde feels very Scottish to me. I think it's maybe because like my dad, when he was a kid, and me when I was younger to a much lesser extent, rather than going abroad on holiday, we used to go down to Millport. And we didn't stay in a caravan, we stayed in a in an apartment, in a, in a, I keep saying apartment, a flat. I've been in the Middle East too long. But, you know, but I know my dad used to go down there when he was a kid for the kind of two weeks uh, of the sort of Glasgow Fair holiday, which is the same as Trades Fortnight in Aberdeen, and that was his, that was their two week holiday every year. So, uh, so Inverclyde just it feels very archetypally Scottish to me. Okay, so who got to go home and fuck the prom queen award, otherwise known as the Sean Connery award? Ah, uh, it's obviously Liam. Yeah, for sure. In terms of Martin Compton and Liam, he undoubtedly wins the movie. Um, in my opinion, I think I don't think there's there's much debate. I mean, his his IMDb following. Sweet 16 
Now, for a kid who had no formal acting uh, training, I mean, he just, he's never stopped working since he made this film. And he's been hundreds of, it's even as, as, as soon as, um, 2006, so only four years after this film, he is in A Guide to Recognizing Your Saints with Robert Downey Jr. and Shia LaBeouf and Chaz Palamenteri. So a big, like a Hollywood film with some big stars in there. I mean, I don't think, um, Sean, uh, what's his name? Robert Downey Jr. was, he wasn't quite Iron Man famous at that point, like known every but he was certainly a very famous oh. actor, and, you know. So you know, and uh, I've I've seen that movie. I've seen it once. I don't remember him being in it, but when I was reading the synopsis of the film, he's got quite a big part in it. Uh, yeah, loads of stuff. He plays John O'Hare in The Damned United about uh, Brian Clough's. Um, so sort of, was it ninety days at uh, Leeds that he did? But was it as many as thirty days at Leeds? I can't remember. Yeah, it's it's not very many at all. Um, but yeah, and then obviously his most recent big success is Line of Duty. Um, on the BBC, where he's one of the main, he's one of the main leads in that, which is very good. And I'm not sure his his English accent's a wee bit, a wee bit dodgy, I think. But I, do you not think it's just distracting? Yeah, because you're used to him, you know, having a Scottish accent. So I, I think his English accent's quite good. It's just it, it's just distracting yeah. seeing him speaking. I guess it's like when like David Tennant was Doctor Who or something. It's it's just a bit. Yeah. Not quite right. Yeah. Seeing yeah. that accent come out his mouth. Yeah. Um but yeah, no, I think I, I completely agree. I think he, he definitely he definitely wins the movie. The James Cosmo Award for being in everything Scottish. I think with regards to this film, there's there's so many kind of bit part actors in it. I think I'd probably now have to give it to Matt Costello. Yeah, I was that, me too. Since you've pointed that out. Because looking at his IMDB, he has been in a lot of Scottish things. To be fair, Martin Compton also has been in a lot of Scottish things, but yeah, I think Matt Costello probably just nudges it for me. Yeah, he's 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 been doing it longer, hasn't he? So yeah, so we'll give it to him. Yeah, okay. well done, Matt. Well done. That's the, the the next one's a tough one. The Francis Begbie Award for Best Swearing. <laughs> Uh, what did you go for? I mean, I just gave it to the to the the cast collectively. I think it's a I think it's a oh. I think it's a group award. To be fair, <laughs> okay, yeah, could do that. I think, yeah, uh, that's very nice. Uh, I think my particular favourite was the the scene where Liam goes back to Stan and his granddad's and smashes the window, and his granddad's sort of hanging out the window, and he just gives him this volley of abuse, um, and he calls him a skinny wee cunt. And it's just the the way that he mentions that yeah. I I particularly liked um, yeah. either that or the rant from the the pizza the recipient of the the cold pizza that was another good rant that we had there actually I think that might be better <laughs> I think that's a better one. <laughs> <laughs> I've forgotten about the pizza guy. It was really funny. <laughs> I think the poor kid is a sidekick. He just doesn't know what to say. <laughs> to sit there and take all this horrendous abuse. For fuck's sake, where have you been? Sorry if it's causing inconvenience. Inconvenience? I'm on a half. I fucking phoned for a, a fucking on a half ago. I transport I'm trying to get a phone for a pint. I'm fucking only wanting a pizza. You could have got one fairly quick and it's took you to fucking bring it. I got held up. Man. Held up? You think you're fucking Dick Turpin or something? Held fucking up. Sorry, mate. Hope it's a right fucking pizza. And it's fucking freezing it off. Well, you know what you do with your fucking pizza? Stick it right up your ass, and that will heat up a wee bit. Now, fuck off out my sight. Fuck off. So, for the most Taggart appearances, uh, being through the cast, well, the 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 main cast. I wasn't going through everybody in there, but the main cast. I also added Matt Costello just because he's famous. So it's actually a joint, or rather, joint winners. So Martin Mc, Martin McCarty, who plays Tony, one of Douglas's kind of henchmen. 
um, has got three tagger appearances. And Matt Costello has three appearances. John Morrison has two. And William Ruan has one. So it's, uh, it's, 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 uh, Martin McCarty and Matt Costello won the tagger award for the most appearances in tagger. Oh, very nice. Congratulations. Congratulations, guys. The Ewan McGregor Award for most gratuitous nudity. There's not really any, is there? There's, we see um, Liam with his shirt off getting his, his wounds tended by his sister, but yeah, I think that's it. No, I, I don't think there's anything that we could really count with regards to that. So yeah, I'd say it's null and void this week. And then the Jake McQuillan, your Zoot Award for violent moment. For me, I think it has to be the when Liam gets mugged. Yeah. for the drugs and then just the the constant he just keeps coming back like the terminator <laughs> yeah. just constantly appearing and it's so well filmed because you just you genuinely think they've got away and he just appears again <laughs> you almost get as much a shock as the guys that mugged him did as well it's yeah it's really well done and there is almost a comedic element to it when you're watching it but yeah that that for me would win the award hands down I think and then yeah I had, this, I had the same for mine and then last one best scene what did you go for in terms of best scene I went although it, although it's an unpleasant scene I went for I went for the scene between um, that we mentioned earlier between Liam and Chantel when you know when Liam loses his patience with her and I just think it's you know for like, for two really young actors with very little experience I just thought it's you know and it's it's a total two-hander just thought it was a really a really powerful scene what did you have? Well I think my personal favourite was as I'd mentioned before the, the scene where Liam's in the, the cellar of the the club and yeah. he's pacing about and that whole section of him you know going into the toilet and about to knife him and then you realizing that it was all kind of a test uh, yeah that that for me i absolutely loved that part so i think that's probably sure. gonna steal it for me all right yeah very good oh well very good so yes that was sweet 16 uh i'm I hope you enjoyed it. I say I thoroughly enjoyed watching it again. So I hope you enjoyed watching it as well. I did. I mean, I like, I do like movies that I've got sort of, that are kind of powerful social messages. I do find them a bit more uncomfortable than I did when I was younger. I think, like you mentioned earlier on about why you liked it so much the first time you watched it, when obviously you were a lot younger than you are now, uh, and the sort of, you know, the kind of bad language, seeing Scotland and places that you might recognise on screen and, th- and things. You know, I, I still like that element of watching a film like Sweet 16, but I don't know. I mean, there's, I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm not offended or anything by them, but I do find them a bit more uncomfortable. I can still enjoy them and appreciate them. Like I watched um, Tyrannosaur not that long ago with Peter Mullen when he's playing the mm-hmm. the, the alcoholic uh, widower. I mean, and that's a brilliant movie. Uh, you know, with brilliant performances from everybody in it. But it's still it's a and I and I guess you know I, I guess if like the film made, if Ken Loach heard me saying this or like, or Paddy Considine who made uh, Tyrannosaur, I guess they would probably feel like I've done my job because the I, yeah. I know uh, Ken Loach um, is he's a bit of a he's a he's quite the social campaigner as well. You know. I, I saw him a few a couple of weeks ago on a clip from uh, Newsnight or Question Time or something, just giving this Tory MP absolute shit about. So it was to do with like um, the like sort of social housing and the what was the name of the big tower block, the Grenfell Tower and stuff like that. And so I know he's heavily he's heavily involved with the Labour Party and stuff like that. So I guess those guys would. You know, if I'm watching it and feeling a bit uncomfortable about what's happening to the characters and things, I guess they feel like they've they've done their job. 
So yeah, no, very true. I, I agree. Yeah, as you get older, it does make. I guess as you experience life, it makes different things kind of appeal and matter to you. So yeah, it's a very, very powerful film. But yeah, thoroughly enjoyed watching it again. Me too. Wonderful. Well, it's your choice next week, Greg. So uh, what are we going to be looking at next time? Uh, well, I've thought a lot about it, and you and I were discussing it on on WhatsApp the other day. But as it's the as it's this movie's twenty fifth anniversary this year, and as it's an it's an important movie to you and I, and it's a very important movie to for British films. I thought that we should review Train Spotting, the movie. Wow, fantastic! Okay, that's a heavy hitter. Okay, <laughs> all right, great. Well, I'll look forward to reviewing that then and uh, getting in-depth and having a good chat about that a film I've seen many times and I will happily watch again me too I haven't seen it for a little while uh, well, when I say a little while I mean like a couple of years it's not been like that long but yeah I'm looking forward to watching it well I'll look forward to discussing train spotting with you on the next episode uh, well thank you very much for listening everyone if you'd like to get in touch with us you can email us anything you'd like us to review or any news stories that you've seen or anything on culture swally at gmail.com and if you want to follow us on social media then you can find us at culture swally pod on instagram and at swally pod on twitter so until next time greg until next time have a good week you too see you later bye now